Good morning, good morning, good morning. How are you, my friend? How are you, my friend? Welcome. This is the Breakfast with Champions podcast, one of the most unique, amazing, and powerful podcasts you'll ever come across in your entire life. Listen, we bring you motivation, education, and inspiration, and ultimately give you an opportunity to get a seat at the table, to hang out with some of those that are doing the things you know you can do, that have reached some of those levels you know you can reach. What makes this podcast so unique and incredible is we have over a hundred different thought leaders that are constantly delivering amazing, over-the-top, powerful, and impactful content in bite-sized nuggets that you can absorb, take action on, and implement in your life. So with that said, make sure you filter through. There's going to be some of these thought leaders, these experts in their industries that you're ultimately gonna connect with. You're gonna totally, totally resonate. It's gonna totally be your vibe. And then there's gonna be other ones that you're gonna be like, eh, you know what? I like them, but I don't know if I love them. And that's what's great about Breakfast with Champions is we have something for everyone. So make sure you sift through, find the ones that you love, and know that they'll be coming back every single week to be able to deliver to you the motivation and education and inspiration that you need. With that said, my name is Glenn Lundy. I am your host. Super excited to connect with you. And let's kick off today's episode of Breakfast with Champions. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Well, I have not seen my friend Brian Benstock yet this morning. I'm sure he's uh, either finishing a workout or driving through a tunnel or he's somewhere. I'm here, girl. I'm here. There you are. I didn't see you on stage. Maybe I've refreshed, but good morning, champions, and good morning, Brian. How are you, my friend? How was your weekend? Fantastic. The weekend is and has been fantastic. Good. I'm glad to hear it. I did some traveling this weekend. Got to spend some much-needed time with my family and some of my tribe. I'm getting ready to head into a contract signing this morning with a new automotive tech company. So lots of amazing things going on. And uh, we've got a great segment for you guys this morning. I have this tradition that anytime I travel, especially on the road, um, I've got my dog with me. It's very impossible to fly with a 100-pound with a dog. So I drove over 24 hours straight uh, to get here this past weekend and be with my family. And I have this tradition that anytime I stop at like one of those, um, you know, travel centers that I always head over to their inspirational book section. And I was really surprised and amazed that I came across a book that I hadn't seen. I've got quite the collection and I came across this book. Um, and what really attracted my eye to it was that the foreword was by Stephen Covey. Uh, for those of you that probably know Stephen Covey, um, he's the author of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And I saw this book and I'm like, wow, a book that I haven't read by Covey. And it was called Conversation, or sorry, Crucial Conversations, Tools for Talking When Stakes Are High. And I'm like, hmm, I'm a, I'm a connection master. I, I have conversations all day, every day. So I thought, hey, you know what? I'm going to pick this up. And uh, from literally the very first line of reading this book, it was so powerful. Um, and apparently, you know, four million plus people agree because that's how many copies of this book have been sold. And so I started kind of just digging through with my highlighter and uh, taking some notes. And so this morning, I wanted to talk about seven tips for crucial conversations. I think that conversations are such an imperative and important part of our life. Connections 
are an imperative, important part of our life. And I want you to ask yourself this morning, are the conversations that you're having productive or are they pushing people away from you? And I think really that just about everybody can benefit uh, from this this morning, whether you're a business owner or you're in sales and marketing or human resources, what have you. I really think that there's a lot of takeaway from this. If you are a business owner, you're really going to be able to benefit by upgrading your conversations in a way that will eliminate fear and intimidation among your teams. Um, the research that these authors did was just absolutely extensive. They interviewed uh, over 20,000 people over 25 years, and what they found was absolutely startling. They found that most people that were successful um, and those that were skilled at having conversations, right, the conversations where they were assertive enough to get their point across but yet they were respectful of everyone involved. And I have this saying that says kindness is free, right? I, I've repeated this over and over and over again. Understand that we have to agree on nothing to be kind. And I think that if you're able to tailor your conversations um, to the way that people are receiving you, right, and you're able to be respectful of other people's opinions while still getting your point across, um, it just makes for an overall better world. So again, whether you're in business today or if you're a sales and marketing professional that's looking to put more deals together, negotiate better, uh, or maybe you're in HR or, or your job is, is to work with people on a daily basis to be able to make employees communicate better, handling conflict resolution. Um, I'm going to dive into the seven tips from this book. Um, I think that, like I said, they're very, very relevant. So I'm excited to be able to bring this to you this morning again, talking about seven tips for crucial conversations. Brian, you have conversations every day at the high level with employees, you're managing large teams. Before we dive into this, I would love to get your feedback. You know, how important is it in pretty much any business industry or even in life in general that you're having, you know, these high level conversations and that you're able to understand and, and be able to respect others when you're having them? Well, the ability to have those tough conversations uh, with people and the skill to do it uh, tactfully is, is uh, an art that uh, I'm still practicing and working on. Uh, the, these, sometimes we avoid the necessary difficult conversations, and we do that uh, to our peril and to those of the people that are in need of having, or in need of having those conversations with. And some of the younger managers I work with um, – uh, that's you know a primary part of the training right now is how to have those difficult conversations to avoid just jumping in. Oh, this guy's never going to get it, so let me do it for him. Uh, that, that's that's certainly not what you want to do. And uh, being able to do it uh, tactfully and skillfully, where uh, that you leave that conversation, the person understands why the conversation uh, took place, and more importantly, the person takes uh, responsible and reasonable. Uh, steps towards addressing whatever it is that was discussed and you know so you, you want to be able to shoot straight with people you know here's here's reality here's what needs to be done but you need to do it in a way that doesn't uh, bruise or harm the, their ego we all have an ego and it's very difficult sometimes when you're talking to somebody and talking to them about corrective behavior sometimes if you address that um too harshly they're not going to hear any of the benefits of the message that you're trying to convey. And I have been so guilty of this so many times. You know, I, in, in the fast-paced world, sometimes I go out there, I load the shotgun with two shells, uh, pump the thing, and fire, boom. Uh, I hit, hit them with the information, and I just move on. And later on, I see the guy or the gal, and they're sideways. You know, they're completely twisted up. What's the matter? 
well, you know, uh, 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 and and I'm not realizing that they took what I said personally. And of course, how else can they take something you address directly to them, but personally? And so you want to be able to separate the doer from the deed or the doer from the action you want corrected. So I'm interested in hearing what you have to say. Uh, in, in addition, um, check out for you uh, Starlink. It's uh, Elon Musk's internet service that he's now launched about a thousand satellites around the world for people like you that live in these remote parts of the world to give you streaming wicked fast internet Starlink when you get a chance, Michelle. My friend, I have had Starlink on order since uh, the end of February. I have been waiting on my equipment. <laughs> a little early <laughs> adopter, you. ahead of you, yeah. That all right, all right. I did, but I appreciate it, yes. Yeah. Uh, yesterday, I yesterday, I'm thinking of you, and I had a note to talk to you about <laughs> this. Uh, so, yeah, I great, love cool. you, superhuman. Yes, yeah. I, I placed my deposit, and I put the order on and at the end of February. Still waiting so i am hoping and praying that i get my equipment soon because i think it's going to be a game changer uh in my remote mountain town i'm blessed enough that i'm in ohio today i do go back to colorado this afternoon but uh yeah you know to touch back to what you said i empathy is is such an important trait that i think that we all have and i think sometimes it's a, it's a learned behavior there was definitely a time in my life when i didn't have an ounce of empathy um my world was me 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 and you know i've I very much evolved uh, from that place that I was at in my life. But I, I really believe that connection is the outcome that ultimately leads to income. And if you're not able to connect effectively and communicate effectively, it really can damper the relationship, the, the relationships that you have, whether it's with friends, family, or in business. Um, so when I when I saw this book, like I said, I just kind of had to dive in. And I will preface this by saying that these seven tips are not my content. Um, these are directly from the book. If you haven't read it, um, again, The Forward's by Stephen Covey. It's written by a bunch of New York Times bestselling authors that are speakers and developers of training programs. Uh, these are people that actually like change initiatives for major corporations. And uh, so I'd highly recommend that you go out and get this book. I've been diving in. It's just been an incredible journey. I think this is really going to help me as well uh, to dive into those conversations. But it's called Crucial Conversations, Tools for Talking When Stakes Are High. And as always, if you want these seven tips for free, feel free, click on my profile picture, Join my VIP text club for free. Uh, we have been organizing all of this content. I've got about 60% of it completed uh, since we've been doing these since January. Um, but I'll be happy to send over the seven tips in our Google Drive for you this morning. So I'm going to dive on into these seven tips for crucial conversations from these amazing authors and, of course, Stephen Covey. Uh, so they say number one is start with heart. Ask yourself what you really want and what is at stake at the conversation. And I think that that's really a great place to begin any conversation. Anytime that I involve myself, whether it's in you know, a tough conversation, maybe it's with someone that's on my team. I've had to have several of those uh, in the past few months um, where I see people are just kind of marching to the beat of their own drum. They've seen a little bit disconnected. You know, We've made a lot of shifts and changes within my organization and it can be tough sometimes, right? So I've had to have some tough conversations with people so that I can put them back on track. But I think when you have those types of conversations, it's really important um, from get-go that you point out people's strengths and not just their weaknesses. I can't tell you how many times over, you know, my I was 15 years on the retail side of automotive before I launched my own company. And I've worked for a lot of dealerships. I've worked for a lot of great people. And I've worked for some people that I probably would never in a million years work for again. 
uh, because they had this habit of literally going on the sales floor and just spitting in someone's face and tearing someone down um, over a bad judgment call or a deal that wasn't put together. And, you know, I, I know that some people have tough personalities, <clears throat> Brian Benstock. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think when you're able to really revamp and rethink the way that you approach people, it makes for a much more effective conversation when you're able to start with empathy and when you're able to approach someone and say, Hey, these are the things that you do exceptionally well, but here are the things that I think that we can work on. These are the areas that I see that you can grow in. These are the areas that, that we need to focus on. And you have to understand that, you know, everybody comes from a different walk of life and maybe not everybody thinks the same way that you do. Maybe they don't perform actions the same way that you do. And so I think that it's really like, it's an integral part, um, especially of business that when you're having these conversations that you're able to put yourself in some respect in someone else's shoes. I tell my managers all the time, you know, I want you to get to know the people on our team, understand what drives them, what motivates them, but also be able to connect with them on such a level that if they're going through something in life, that they're comfortable enough that they can come to you and talk to you and say, hey, these are the things that are going on and that we can work together to find a proactive solution rather than just beating the crap out of somebody and saying you suck, right? What do you think about that, Brian? Okay, maybe Brian isn't a present. Uh, well, <laughs> what do I, I'm just still reeling from that <clears throat> cough about me. Come on. Oh, with love, my friend. Oh, oh love. man, oh, man. No, you, you, you want to make sure you're addressing the actions that need correction. And people, you know, it's very difficult for people to not take that personally. Uh, I, you know, I'm not, I mean, I get, I know the technique of, you know, build them up and then, you know, you know kiss, smack, kiss. Uh, but you know, there's, there's, there's certain times when it's really, let's, let's separate the two, right? Let's, let's not just sit here and say, okay, you're really good at this. However, this, you can't be doing that. I think on every conversation, this is time for, for direct. Hey, here's, here was the objective. Here's what we were doing. You said you understood it. What happened? Where's the connect? And you know, you're not directly attacking the person. You're not attacking at all. You're really focusing on on what the activities were that were supposed to be done. And, you know, I think it's part and parcel as a, a leader to make sure that you explained what the mission was or what the uh, desired behavior was. You make sure that they understood it. You got that acknowledged back. And then when there's a disconnect, uh, you, you have an obligation to say, hey, what happened? Uh, and, and to uh, try and adjust that. And, you know, the what a gift it is to see ourselves, our behaviors as other people see them and you know that self-reflection is really important and uh you said something else that was important it's empathy you know whether you're talking to a um a porter or you're talking to an executive they're people they're, and they, they they each probably have a similar ego uh and understand that when you're correcting someone's behavior uh you've got to do it as a coach rather than as a uh, a dictator and you know i uh, recently came to find you know back in the day michelle i was a yeller uh, you know, I was, you know, tee off on people for not doing what I hadn't trained them to do. Uh, and, and now, you know, I realize most of the time when someone's not doing what uh, they were supposed to do, that that's on me. And so I'm a lot more cautious when I'm uh, correcting someone's behavior, because most likely uh, the reason that that behavior is the way it is in the first place has something to do with me or my managers, which has something uh, to do with me. Yeah, I love that you said that. I, I think that's a big shift that I've made as well, is that I've learned to accept accountability and responsibility for everything, whether it's in my own personal life, in my own behavior, 
or if there's something that my team's out doing that is not producing the way that I want it to, I take that on myself and say, okay, where did I screw up? And that's a big change for me because again, it was never like that for me. Um, and, and so I love that you said that, you know, you put it back on yourself. I don't know if Scott Simons is here, but Scott Simons, you always bring such great insight. And I would absolutely love your thoughts and takes on that as well, as far as empathy and, and how you treat people in those conversations. Are you free, Scott? Yes, I am. Hey, good morning, Michelle. Good, good morning, morning, Brian. And it's, what a great subject to uh, go over. I always look forward to hearing you two and uh, especially the bantering back, you know, back and forth. And one thing that shocked me a little bit is Brian said he was just made aware that he was direct uh, or something to that, uh, which that really perked my <laughs> ears up. And, uh, you know, uh, so that, you know, that, that did take me off guard a little bit. But anyway. Um, yeah, you, you, you know, if you're going to coach someone hard, they first or, you know, uh, push them to be the best versions of them, you know, they first got to know that you care about them. You know, if, if you if if the person or individual that you're trying to get the best out of them knows that you genuinely care, they're a whole lot more receptive to coaching than if you're just being a dictator. And trust me, Brian, I, I think we've all made that mistake that you referenced. Uh, I was that person, you know, and even you said before, Michelle, that you know, I was focused on me, you know, and not others. And if, when you push others to be the best versions of them, that greatly improves your life too. And it takes maturity. It takes some lumps. It takes, you know, getting a few black eyes, losing maybe some people that you shouldn't have lost through that journey and managed them the wrong way. And, uh, but, you know, if you truly know and you truly mentor the people and they know that you care about them, you can really push them to things that they didn't even think were attainable, but it all first starts with, you got to show you care. Don't, don't, don't you think, um, I, I've learned over the years, you've got to have put the time in with that person in order to earn the right to tee off on them. Uh, you, you know, you've got to have made those deposits in their coaching, their training, and their development. You know, somebody that's uh, new to the organization, to the team, you go out and you tee off on them. You, you can absolutely give them frame damage where it's, it's, it's not repairable. But, you know, there, there are uh, different people that I've worked with over many years. And, man, man oh, man, you know, I, they know what to expect from me and I know what to expect from them. And, you know, you, 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 you're going to, you're going to lean into them a little bit differently than you are with somebody else that's just starting out in the team. You know, God forbid you put the same pressure on everybody. You know, there's, there's, there are, there are people that are designed uh, to take that pressure and take that heat. And it doesn't mean being abusive. It doesn't mean being uh, dictatorial, but it's certainly, you know, my, my, my uh, upperclassmen, need to understand the stakes are high and when we make a mistake it shows up on a financial statement and you know and, and the you know explaining it to the people that are beginning and explaining it in a way that shows them the bigger picture is is probably more warranted but you know it's, it, at a certain point in the game when someone apologizes for dropping a football in a professional football game hey man that's what we trained and drilled to do you know get it together and have that direct conversation with people. We have to hold people to a higher standard. And I think the best thing we can do when we're having any conversation with any individual is really to, to, to hold them to a higher standard and to allow them to hold themselves to a higher standard. I think that's when you start to develop people because you're not going to tell me what to do. But if you can show me a better way for me, then I'm going to be much more receptive to that. Yeah, and I think, Brian, what you do is you, you, you praise in public and you coach in private. And I know for a fact, that's not what used to happen. And that's not how I used to be. And the people that bark the most, 
and put other people down in front of everybody else are the most insecure people in the world. That's the people true. that people that outwardly look like look like you know that they're barking and that they're um, you know uh, yelling at people or, and you know want to be the center of attention. When you really punch that bully in the nose, they back down faster than anybody. And it's really insecurity. It's really they feel less about themselves. The mature ones can sit down in an office with you and literally not raise their voice. And when, you know, you use the words, I'm disappointed or, you know, where did we go wrong? Was it a lack of training? You know, I just was on a call with a gentleman that is probably one of the smartest people I know. And he said, okay, either then the gentleman made a mistake in a real estate deal. And this gentleman is the, the guy that was thinking about funding the whole deal. He was thinking about funding a twenty, a twelve million dollar deal on his own, and he had a pool of sixty million in one fund to use. And the gentleman made a mistake. And this gentleman, the the the, the investor, didn't like it because the person raising the money should have known the difference between what he asked for. And he said on a on an open mic with me on the phone, he said, "Either you are ignorant or you're a liar." Now, which one is it? And man, I mean, I'm sitting on the other end of the phone. That made me feel very, very uncomfortable. But he truly wanted to teach the gentleman a lesson. And, and the gentleman followed up with me, said, man, I'm, I, you know, I most definitely would never make that mistake again. And it was the difference between money in-house in an investment and money that was verbally committed. And there's a huge difference between the two. And the, the phrase that the gentleman used, the investor, the person raising the money should have known the difference, clearly known the difference. And he truly just didn't know the difference. He's a, he was a... Um, he was a builder, but not a developer. Well, he learned a valuable lesson, and I'll never forget it. This just recently happened. Either you're a liar, or you're, you know, or you're ignorant. Which, you know, so which which one is it? But yeah, I think Brian, you know, when we were immature, young, you know, it was commonplace to pull people on the showroom floor and scold them and throw their paperwork across the showroom if they didn't have their paperwork correct. And a lot of that was just ignorance and ego. And I, I thank goodness the automobile industry and I think the, you know, a lot of businesses have changed. But Michelle, thank you for allowing me to uh, to put in my two cents and uh, great topic this morning and good morning breakfast with champions. Well, you certainly bring more than two cents, my dear friend, Scott Simons. You are such a motivator and inspiring human being. And I love it when you're able to share on this stage. Guys, if you're just joining us, this is Breakfast with Champions. Uh, we have adapted our schedule just a little bit. We're going to be here Monday through Friday from 5 a.m. Eastern time until 5 p.m. Saturday from 6 to noon. And, of course, we have our Club 111 on Sundays where you can get your weekly fill of worship. Guys, if you are enjoying this conversation, make sure that you hit that plus button. Ping some people on in here. And, of course, make sure that you are following our club. Hit that little green house at the top of the screen above Mr. Scott Simons. And maybe if for some reason you missed uh, any any one of these shows or any one of our great moderators, uh, just know that we are not just on Clubhouse. We have the Breakfast with Champions podcast and our Breakfast with Champions pages on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, the whole gamut. And of course, wherever you catch your podcast. And we always want to be there wherever you are. Uh, so make sure that you go to at Breakfast with Champions club on instagram click the link in our bio and follow us there that way you can follow us anywhere that you want to stay connected uh, as always we are here to pour in motivation education and inspiration to you 
every single day of the week. So if you're just joining us this morning again, we are talking about seven tips for crucial conversations. We just covered number one, which is to start with your heart. Uh, and I'm going to dive into number two and number three because I think that they so closely relate. And again, this is not my content. This is coming from an amazing book that I picked up this weekend called Crucial Conversations, Tools for Talking When the Stakes Are High. The Ford is written by Stephen Covey, author of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's another phenomenal book. If you don't have it, go out and pick up those books today. Uh, but they say number two, Number two tip for crucial conversations, learn to look. And number three, make it safe. You always need to be asking yourself whether the conversation and the dialogue are defensive, right? If you or the other party happens to stray into defensiveness, I think it's really important that you're able to pick that up, pick up on that as well, and then redirect that conversation. And it's very simple, right? Sometimes I think it's just saying, hey, I think we've gotten off topic or I think we've moved away from the dialogue. Um, or I'm, I'm sorry if maybe you misunderstood me. And I'm sorry right now because I'm sitting outside my hotel. Uh, so you might be hearing some cars and, and chainsaws and crazy noises. So I do apologize. Um, but and again, you like don't hear anything, just your voice. Perfect. All right, perfect. Like I had a car just start up right next to me and it was very loud, diesel engines. So um, again, number three, making it safe. Um, they're saying that another great way to deal with defensiveness in difficult situations is, again, to just create a comfortable safe situation, accept that accountability. Again, maybe you're not wrong, but I think sometimes it really does a great deal in a conversation to say, hey, maybe I misunderstood or, hey, maybe I'm wrong. And if you're able to put that back on yourself and ask a question that shows interest in others' views or just to take a time out, I think that that's a really positive direction that we can take a conversation. And again, I, I know I've been guilty of it. I'm sure pretty much everyone on this stage has been guilty of it. Uh, and Brielle, I would love to bring you into this conversation. You are such an eloquent speaker and you're so fantastic at illustrating points and being able to demonstrate empathy. Um, talk about a situation maybe where you've had a difficult conversation or a difficult customer, difficult client, uh, maybe difficult team member where you've had to, to use those skills and redirect that conversation. How important is that in your day-to-day -day life and business? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important. It's so funny because I was just thinking those same things about you. Like, wow, Michelle is the perfect person to talk about this. I was listening to your room reset, and I thought to myself, what a team player. Like, always exactly on script. You are um, amazing right, at operating within the confines of a team and making people feel safe. So um, just that last, those last two tips really that, that's highlighted. Why she called on, that's why she called on you, Brielle. She didn't call me because she knows I've never been wrong. So I've never confronted that tough conversation that you're supposed to have with yourself about being wrong. But I, I want to have empathy. I just, I want to, I really do. We know you do. We know you do. But that's what we love about you. I think that that is, where having the tough conversations becomes exactly what you're asking, Michelle. When you say talk about um, a time, I have tough conversations all the time, but what I think I can bring to the table and maybe help out in this specific point is that you have to look at things sometimes from another person's perspective. And when you really take the time to have empathy and know Why? who that person Why? is, coming into the conversation, then you feel more comfortable and they feel more comfortable because you're giving them grace for who they are and they then give you grace for who you are, right? So if I know that I'm having a conversation with somebody who feels very, very strongly, maybe in a different perspective 
than I do, or we might just have multiple views on the same perspective. I will, I'll bend, right? I'll bend not my view or my perspective, but my openness and my willingness to hear the way that they communicate, right? Because it's not necessarily what people say, it's how they say it. And so often we take offense to the how they're saying it. But if we can, using a different book, The Four Agreements, right? If we cannot take anything personally, and we can understand that the way that people talk is just the way that they communicate, then when we go into those conversations, we're able to navigate their communication style and still feel comfortable um, communicating. Sometimes it's the other person that causes you to shut down. So instead of shutting down, allow that person to be themselves. And then you get to be yourself because you've already gone into the conversation, understanding the way that that person communicates. Does that make sense? It so does. And I love that you said that. And I think that, you know, there's been no greater illustration of that. I'm going to bring Sarah McCord into this conversation too, because, you know, a lot of you guys don't know, but we have a back chat and a back channel. All right. And things are not all bowls of cherries and roses. You know, it takes a lot. It takes a whole lot. It takes a huge team of people and and everything that goes into putting this show on every morning, right? We don't always agree on things. Sometimes things happen. Sometimes decisions have to be made from the top and not everybody is on board with it. But I think that all of us really have a respect for one another. And even when we have to have some of those tough conversations or tough decisions have to be made, we all are able to do it in such a way that there's an amount of love and respect for one another. Um, and, and sometimes things do get heated, right? Again, we're not always going to agree on everything. And I think that it's really important that especially when you have a lot of people that are communicating or you or you have, you know, people that come together for the greater good and the common cause that that we really do need to do a great job of being able to effectively communicate our point. And how often, Sarah, I know that you're gonna feel me on this because it's happened to me so many times, not in this setting necessarily, but in life, where maybe you send a text message or an email that somehow gets misconstrued. And it's like people automatically interpret your tone of voice and that was totally not what you meant, but that's how somebody interpreted it. How often does that happen, Sarah? Put me on the spot first thing in the morning. <laughs> hey, man, that's what I do. Oh, love you, my, my friend. Oh, my gosh. I love it. Oh, my gosh. You know, I think you raised such a good point, which is that I think that we have to be um, super intentional about um, our form of communication. Um, you know, we talk so often about how Clubhouse has put relationships in a microwave because we can hear people's voices, because it's so extraordinary when you go to hop on the phone or you meet them in person, um, you're like, I feel like I've already been speaking to you and I already know you. And you really hit the nail on the head that, um, you know, emails and texts, you don't have that intonation. So, I mean, when I think about my best piece of advice there, it's funny, I actually wrote an article about this some years ago. I think whenever you have to deliver, um, a challenging message in writing. Well, the first thing I generally suggest people do is that they wait, if at all possible. Ideally, sleep on it and reread it. And if you can't do that, at least do something else. Go make a cup of coffee, something, so that you have a moment to like reread whatever you wrote, especially if you're super, super, super fired up. And then the other thing that I generally recommend for people from a clarity perspective, if you have to write an email, um, is to cut it in half. Actually, I see my girl Molly Dare was on stage. She says that as well. I think whenever you're trying to deliver something um, that has the opportunity to be misinterpreted, 
Um, less words is generally better. And it goes against our instinct. We think like, well, maybe if I throw in another example, or maybe if I throw in another reason why the other person will feel me and they'll get where I'm coming from, but it's actually the opposite. Um, if you can cut it in half and just laser focus and be like, Hey, here's what's up. Um, that clarity is actually, um, I think going to leave less room for, um, misinterpretation. So thank you so much for pulling me in. I'm done speaking. You know, I love that you said that, that whole cut it in half piece, because that's actually tip number four from this book. It's not the cut it in half, but it says master your story. Focus on what happened that made you feel a certain way and think through, think through, those are the key words, think through your emotions and then choose an appropriate way to respond. And I know we're all guilty of that, right? Especially when you're in a heated moment or you're fired up or something didn't go your way or somebody ticked you off, right? We all have that innate uh, response mechanism, right? And the defense mechanism, if you will, that we get where we go, oh, I just want to, I just want to grab that person's neck through the phone or through text or through an email or whatever it is. And I think that it's so important, uh, Brian Benstock, are you listening, to regroup your thoughts, right? Sometimes I think that we do, we have to take a step back, like Sarah said, take a deep breath, go for a five minute walk, whatever it is, especially when we're really fired up, because I think that sometimes our emotions, we're human beings, our emotions have, you know, a tendency to just completely take over instead of, you know, being logical about a situation. And especially as a business owner, I know that I, I've had to check myself so many times. You know, I, I recently brought somebody aboard, um, it happens to be a family member, my brother, and love the guy dearly, but I have to separate business owner Michelle and boss Michelle from sister Michelle, you know, and, and we've gone at it a couple of times because of things that are, you know, they're not conducive to what my, like my values are when it comes to my clients, my work ethic. And I, I have to understand that not everyone works like me. And so, you know, in situations like that have arisen, I've, I've literally, I've gone back and, and I've gone through a personality test with him. And the thing that I understood was that he was a kinesthetic learner. He wasn't a visual learner like I am. I'm that type of person that I read. I read until I can't read anymore. I find the answers that way. If I don't know something or I don't understand something, I will dive deep to find the answers uh, or I will talk to other people, mentors, friends, what have you, until I figure out what it is that I need. Well, he's not that way. And so I think that's really important is trying to understand how the people in your life or how the people on your team learn, and then you can effectively adapt those conversations and your training tools to better suit their personalities. Um, and I don't know, I know a lot of you probably do um, those personality tests even pre-hire. Is that something that you guys do at Paragon Honda, Brian? Do you guys do those those personality tests or the DISC assessments? Well, we're going to. And when I took the test first, it found that I had no personality. So we immediately ended the testing. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's excellent. Any consideration for that? It, I, you know, I, I, I had enough evidence right there to prove it doesn't work, and I'm not going to listen to this stuff. So in, in all seriousness, we're, we're not running through those uh, profile or personality tests. You know, I, I think uh, our, our biggest source of hiring is referrals from other people that are on the team, um, and you know, I still believe uh, in being able to listen to. Uh, ask appropriate questions of and get a read on somebody. You know, I'm looking for the puppy dog sitting in front of me wagging his or her tail with excitement, enthusiasm. Um, and, you know, when, 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 you, when I see that in a person, 
I think most everything else we can give somebody. You can't give somebody zest for life or enthusiasm, um, but certainly the training on the skill sets. And I do understand that those personality tests uh, have come a long way and that they can, they can help you to weed out uh, candidates. Uh, I'm, I'm currently not using those, though. I don't think so much for me that they can waver my decision to hire someone one way or another. Um, I actually use them post hire because I think that what it allows for me to do, and I'm going to begin implementing this into my practice is again, it, it makes me understand a little bit better how somebody trains and learns. And that was a weakness of mine. I am the type of person that if I see somebody's resume and they have, you know, all of these accolades, especially in the, in the sales realm, I go, oh, that person brings sales training to the table. So I naturally assume and, and divert back to, oh, I remember my automobile sales training. Granted, there was a big lack thereof at the very beginning. Um, but, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time with a lot of coaches and trainers. And so when somebody comes to me and says, hey, I have 11 years of sales experience, my natural inclination is, oh, that person understands how to sell. What I fail to realize is that person doesn't understand to sell what I'm selling or what we're selling. They don't understand the industry that I'm in. And so it was really important for me to kind of get a grasp and an understanding of how somebody else is learning um, and what styles pertain to them. Because I can't just sit somebody down with my 72-page manual and all of my bullet points and processes and expect that person to be able to grasp the concepts like I do. That's how I learn. I learn by reading. A lot of other people learn by doing hands-on or visual aids. Uh, maybe they like to watch videos or they hear others talk. And I think that's really where it's, it's shifted my perspective in business is trying to really understand and adapt to how other people learn, how other people think. And it's made such a big difference uh, in my life and in my business. And I ended up sending my brother out on the road, literally with different trainers to learn how to sell cars, like that process. And I don't sell cars anymore, but my products are adapted to car dealerships most of the time. And so I thought that it was really important, and that was a tough decision for me, to say, hey, you don't have the knowledge or the know-how or the experience to understand my industry and what I do. And, and there was a lot of heat between us. And he said, I can't believe you're, you're going to make me do this. And I said, well, here are your options. You can get back on a plane and you can go back to your old career, or you can take the time and invest in yourself and you can learn to understand what it is that I'm asking of you because you learn hands on. I can't teach you what I know because you don't learn the same way that I do. And so, you know, like I said, I think that in, in sometimes having those tough conversations, it's just under, it's important rather to understand that other people think differently and learn differently than we do. And that really goes well. And I think to tip number five, which is to state your path, you have to share your facts and conclusions and understand that you need to be able to reiterate to the other party in these conversations where you're coming from. And I think that you have to do that in such an eloquent way that you're putting it again back on yourself and saying, this is how I see things. These are my frustrations. These are the things that I am going through and why I need you to understand these things and then be able to get the feedback from them. Because again, we might be able to, to share the same thoughts and opinions on a particular subject, um, but maybe we don't communicate them the same way. And I think that's where sometimes these conversations get lost in translation and then they end up creating the discord that we didn't intend simply because of the way that we stated something. So when you're able to state things in, you know, in a very direct manner and have that empathy and positivity, uh, I think that it really makes a, a, for a completely different conversation. And, you know, I would love to bring a couple of our other moderators in here. I see Dr. Rowe on stage. Dr. Rowe, are you with us this morning? Are you able to speak, my dear? I am. 
I am so excited that you're here. I love it when you share. And I, I know, you know, gosh, you and I share a lot of a lot of things and trials and things that we've been through in our lives. And you are another person that you just do such a fantastic job uh, of being able to effectively communicate with people and explain your situation or be able to understand others. How important do you think that that, that is? How important are those conversations that are helping you in your life to grow, you know, not just you personally, but your business? Uh, effective communication is number one, first and foremost, in any situation, no matter if it's business or personal, in my humble opinion. Uh, just like this week, many people that are close to me know that it's a very tough and emotional week uh, with everything that our family has gone through and continues to go through. So when I communicate, I'm not feeling well and or I'm broken and or I'm grieving or whatever that is. It allows people that um, are emotionally intelligent or in a safe space to accept that, reach out and or pray, whatever that may be. If it's a business setting, the only way that you understand clearly what individuals are going through, what they need, what rewards they uh, may need, what motivates them, all of those things is simply asking. So that is something that oftentimes businesses may fail to do. And this is not just on an individual side, it's a team side, it starts at the top. So I always say to people, when you're hiring someone um, or putting together a team, to look at it in four colors. And I'm sure people have heard this before, but this is just a different spin on it. So if I'm speaking of a red and I'm just gonna talk about the people I've been around for about six months on this stage, and, and this is, uh, let's say Barbara is a red, we know she's in the red dress, but someone who gets things done, she likes order structure. And then you have like a blue uh, colored, let's call that Tamara. She does get things done, but she's okay with maybe being in the background uh, doing that until it's time to execute. And then you have the green, uh, someone like Brielle, and I'm using her color of an avatar as well, who cares about what's happening in the environment, is aware of what's happening, making sure she's calling people up to the audience. And then you have the yellow, which is the sunshine club, someone who cares so much. I'm gonna call that Dora Maria only because I've met her in person, seeing her care about others and send packages. So if you had that in your business, all four of those individuals, they're gonna work together so beautifully to communicate, to make sure their environment is well. But if I had four reds, four Barbaras, we're going to argue, we're going to fuss, we'll get it done, but we're going to argue, we're going to fuss, it's, it's hard. So think of that, not looking at your um, employees in colors uh, out loud, but mentally when you're putting teams together and when you have that balance of those personalities, that is what makes a great team, which is why Breakfast with Champions is so done so well. With that, I hand the mic back to you. This is Dr. Rowe. I love that, Dr. Rowe, and that actually it coincides so well with uh, tip number six, which is to explore others' paths, and we've been you know, reiterating this this morning, but talking about finding out what the other person is thinking and making sure that you have a clear understanding and looking for areas of agreement, and you hit the nail on the head. You know, I, we say a lot on this show that balance is BS, um, and, I, and I tend to think that that's somewhat true in life, uh, but I think that in business, especially when you're orchestrating you know, a team, it's very important that you have those different personality lives, or that you have those different personality types, right? Because those people are then able to balance 
balance one another and where you're weak, I'm strong and where you're strong, I might be weak. And, you know, that's something that it's taken me a long time to realize and learn is making sure that you're putting those different personalities in place. And I know probably Barbara is no stranger to that. You know, obviously working in the media industry, um, you mentioned Barbara, she deals, I'm sure, with all different personalities and, and different types of people and differences of opinion. And I think that it's really important that when you do understand where other people are coming from and you're able to implement different types of personalities, I think that it, it really can just set the pace uh, for whatever you're going to do in life or in business. And, and Barbara, if you're free to speak, I would love for you to chime in on this conversation. You always do it so well. Are you available? Oh, yeah. Thanks, Michelle. And thanks, Dr. Rowe. You know, in any of these dialogues, I always think play the long game. And when I say those words to myself in any sort of difficult scenario or scenario, it really does help me think through the moment because I'm like, what's what's my end game here? What's the long game? What's the next right step? And it can, for me, that's just a mental strategy to be more tactile, um, tactical in my next move. I hope that lands, but that's always my play is uh, play the long game. Yes, 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 yes. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm going to take us through tip number seven and bring this back around to Brian Benstock, uh, because I think this is probably going to be his favorite tip. And he'll have lots to say on this. Number seven uh, for having crucial conversations is move to action. We talk about this quite frequently on this stage. Um, I think that action is really, really important, uh, whether you know, you're making a major business decision or, again, you're trying to pivot a conversation, trying to get someone to understand your perspective and point of view, that it's really important that even after you've gone through these other tips, that you come to a consensus about what's going to happen. What is the expectation? And document that, right? I think that's a really good tool. You know, anytime that I have to have these conversations, um, you know, sometimes people in life call it a quote write up or, you know, a, an action slip or whatever you want to refer to it as. But I think that it's important that after you've had these conversations, that you document exactly what your expectations are and who's going to do what by when, and then a settle on a way that we can follow up and make sure that these things are taking place. I think sometimes, again, you know, we've talked this morning about how, you know, our, our, our intonality can kind of get misconstrued sometimes, but it's really difficult to misconstrue if you come to a consensus at the end of your conversation, right? And then you document it. These are what, these are the things that we discussed today, and these are the action steps that we're going to take to make sure that things like this, A, don't happen in the future, or B, what we're going to do to move forward as a team. Um, whatever it is that, that you need to discuss, I think that it's important, even if you're talking, you know, Scott mentioned earlier, you know, this ridiculous multi-million dollar business deal. I think that when it's in writing, it's really hard for somebody to come back and say, hey, I didn't get it. It's hard to play that ignorance as bliss card because it's right there in black and white. You guys have signed off on it. These are the things that we have agreed upon. These are the things that we have discussed. Um, I, I think that that's really a great way to end some of these difficult conversations, especially when you're dealing with a team of people. Um, and I know that Glenn does a fantastic job of that. Sarah McCord does a fantastic job of that. Anything that we do on this stage, right? It's all in black and white. There's a, there's a manual or a handbook that's been written. Um, there, there are specific guidelines and, and everybody had to sign it and say, hey, these are the things that we understand. These are the takeaways. This is how we're to conduct business. Um, and then there's no room for error because you say, okay, here's your signatures. Did you sign this? 
okay, well, we've agreed, and I would hope that you would read something before that you've signed it. How, how much does that take effect in your business, Brian? I know that, you know, in the car business, it's a, it's a big deal. How often are you doing that at the end of these conversations that you have to have with people and documenting the conversation and documenting those action steps? Results are the name of the game or is the name of the game. And if you're having a conversation, uh, you know your outcome. What's the purpose of the conversation? What do you hope to accomplish uh, by having the conversation? If you don't have the clarity, the clear expectations in advance of the conversation, it's probably just a waste of everybody's time. So, you know, absolutely uh, commit what you're going to do, what you expect to have done uh, to writing. I'm, um, I, you know, I developed a habit from my, my uh, partner, Paul Singer, I have a, a, a yellow legal pad uh, with me at just about all, all times, and I've got you know, probably you know, three-foot stacks of, of them. And when we have a conversation, I'm taking notes, I'm listening uh, to the person, and then I'm going to asterisk next to in the left-hand column any of the things that are action items, and then I'll just you know, go back through those items with the person that I'm speaking with. Here's, so here's what we agreed we're going to do. Here's when we're going to do it by him. You know, it, it, there are there are certain times when you allow them to extend the goalposts, but for the most part, let's stick to uh, that plan. And you also have to, you know, again, th this is clubhouse and everything's Shangri-La and nice. You also have to have consequences. Well, what if you don't do what we agreed you're going to do uh, by that time? Then what? And you know, th there's got to be a consequence to things. This is this is real life today. And, you know what we're what we're doing in business uh, matters. I think uh, people's livelihoods are dependent on it. So th there needs to be consequences, and consequences aren't always punishment. But you know, here's what we're going to do, and if not, you know, I'll assign somebody else to do it. And if th this continues, I mean, I can't tell you the number of times I've had to have a conversation with somebody. If I need to have this conversation with you more than once, you're not the right person for the position. You know, there's there should be, you know, it's, you know, uh, almost a military kind of an answer. Yes, sir. No, sir. I don't understand the question. Those are the three answers. I'm sorry. I mean, I know we'd like to have this esoteric, long drawn out conversation. But at the end of the conversation, yes, sir. No, sir. Or I don't understand the assignment of the question. And and if, if and it's perfectly acceptable, that answer, I don't understand the assignment or I don't understand the question. And then it's up to the person communicating to restate the objective or the assignment uh, until we can get a, yeah, I understand. And then we move forward. But you do want to make sure you've got that commitment uh, from the person you're speaking to, that they do understand the task at hand and, and have them uh, feed that back to you. Michelle, can I hop in? Of course you may. I love that. I think that that is just so impactful what he just said, because communication is such a two way thing. Right. And if the other person doesn't have a clear understanding, then you're talking to a wall. Right. Or if they're going to say afterwards that they did not execute because they did not understand. So I think it also stems on us. Right. That accountability that Brian's talking about I think at the end of every conversation and probably to a point where people in my life just blank stare me like Brielle, I'm not a child. But every conversation I have in life, at the end of the conversation, it ends with, okay, do you understand? Can you tell me what I just said? Yeah, right? that's, like that, every there you go. Conversation you just nailed because, it. Yeah. Re re restate it. And, and to go yes. back to what you said, communication, co, 
co-communist is the basis there. It's communal. It's back and forth. It's and, and you have a responsibility as a communicator not to just send the message. You have yeah. an obligation to make sure that message is understood, is heard and understood. That's communication. It's two ways. And so as a communicator, your, your, your goal is not just to, to blow out, blast out, blurt out what you want to say. That's not communication. The communication is the, the understand, getting the understanding from the other person that they receive the message, that they understand the message. And Brielle, what you just said, to have them repeat that understanding back to you. And then you, as a communicator, can say, yes, great, you seem to understand what we're talking about. Or, no, that's not at all what I meant. And right. You restate what you have to say. And, and, and I think if we could all do that a little bit better, I think life would be a lot easier for all of us. Because there are consequences, right, Brian? What you said that was so powerful to me is, I mean, maybe I'm a little dictatorial, right? But there are consequences. So for either party, for myself, when you don't complete what I've asked you to complete, or when I feel let down, if we go to feelings or you know, business, professional, there are consequences if you did not understand what I'm saying. At, so, at a bare minimum, the right. consequence is a waste of time. Exactly. At, at the bare minimum. Yes. And yes. That, and that we who, can't get back. Right. Right. And who wants to do that? So it always stems back to, I'm very thorough in, this is what you said. This is what I said. This is what I understood. And then I expect that in return. Like, this is what I said, this is what you said, this is what you understood for us to clearly communicate. I love it. You know, something I do do differently than Brian, though, is I am obsessed with, like, discs, like assessments and love languages, because that's how I communicate with people, right? When I, when I answered the question earlier, I understand. I try to do a really good job of understanding how someone communicates. So whether that's a disc assessment or a love language, why are they communicating the way they communicate? Whether that means I had to Google or research or figure them out a little bit before I answered or communicated with them. And that way I'm able to properly understand so I can say even in their communication, yes, I understand the assignment or yes, I know how to communicate with you. Hey, Rio, may this I ask a follow-up question to one of the three of you? Uh, Michelle or uh, or uh, Brian or Rio, may I ask a follow-up? It's Michelle's segment. Oh, and Brian. Sure, Michelle who's, and Brian, who's go speaking? For it. Ask a follow-up. Thank you for allowing me. What about the aspect also of follow-up mechanisms? Do the, either of the two of you, Brian or Michelle or Rio, for that matter, have follow-up mechanisms like, hey, as we're doing this project for six months, a year, or whatever it is, let's check in check in with me, see, do either of you implement that kind of thing as well once you make that hire, once you make that agreement, a follow-up mechanism? Thanks so much for allowing me to ask. 1,000% I do. Um, I have weekly Zoom meetings with my team and even with the projects that I'm involved in or partnerships that I'm involved in. Uh, we constantly are doing that. You know, we're, we're always meeting up. We, we have a weekly scheduled Zoom call that we all show up to. Um, it is mandatory requirement that we are on video unless we're driving. Uh, because I always want to be able to see my team's faces. I want to be able, I think you can read people really well, and it's kind of hard sometimes. Um, you know, even like from a clubhouse perspective, I think it's great that, you know, we can all hear, you know, intonation in people's voices. But for me personally and my team, 
Um, I have a requirement that on our weekly meeting that you're stationary, unless you're traveling, uh, that you show up on the camera. I want to be able to read somebody. And I do very well with that by seeing people's body language and their reactions. Um, so for me, yes, it's, it's, a, it's a weekly thing. Brian? Michelle, just Pastor Jeff, can I chime in? Sure. So to what Brielle was saying, I think that was Ramon that just asked that question. Um, spending about 38 years in what the Army calls communication, uh, one of the things that, as Brielle brought out, is that effective communication. We can communicate all day long. It doesn't mean that it's effective, <laughs> whether we say anything or not. But effective communication takes as many iterations as it takes going back in that process of sender receiver feedback until the sender actually can demonstrate that they actually understood in the process of what the sender sent. And then as we talked about 360 feedback or uh, whatever type of feedback that you're going to use, one of the things that we do in the military, or we did in the military, <laughs> I've been out so long, one of the things we did in the military is that there's performance counseling, there's 360 feedback, there's um, Counseling when you have to talk to someone who did not perform what they said that, or what was expected out of them, then there's a counseling statement that talks about what the consequences are going to be the next time, if there is a next time, and then what they can do better to make sure that they don't, that there is not a next time. So I think this conversation is absolutely needed, that effective communication is not only needed in the workforce, but in a, a relationship, uh, even with our neighbors, because if we don't know how a person learns, if we don't know uh, how, how they communicate, as Brielle said, then that's a barrier to effective communication. So we've got to put the work in to learn other people as well as to learn ourselves. This is Pastor Jeff, and I'm thoroughly enjoying this conversation this morning. Thanks so much. Can I have of I'd course like you can, Christy. This is <laughs> Thanks, Michelle, so much. I think this is my first time uh, um, listening to your segment, and thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to share. I spent, uh, I, I learned sales leadership when I was in a disruptive medical device company. Um, and this was over 15 years ago. And so I was coming into leadership and we ran like our competition was right behind us. And that, that company, I left uh, 10 years ago and that company still has no competition. But we had very high sales numbers. If you didn't hit your number every quarter, you know, you were on plan and you were getting moved out. And so we were hard. We were harsh. We were direct. And I saw some leaders that had just they just had a, a different finesse and also a different success on their team. And, and I was just, you know, harboring on these people and they wouldn't hit their number and I was hammering them and hammering them and I was doing what was taught. And then I saw the, this, a couple leaders that had incredible success and also finesse and respect. And what Brielle said was exactly one of the things that they taught me. And it was to learn how to speak their language quickly. And so love languages. I love Sherry Tree's bank methodology because that's a real quick one that everybody can pick up without doing a, a big assessment. I love DISC. But as, as fast as you can understand how they, their brain works, how they process and what's important to them, then as a leader, you can shift and speak their language and you can hit them where they're going to hear it and receive it and be able to act. That was number one. But the other thing that I, I totally missed out on was I was having, I was telling them what the, I would make the correction quickly and I would have them reiterate it. And that made me feel comfortable that they understood, but they still didn't execute. And so then the same leader pulled me aside and he said, well, you're not teaching the five-step coaching model. And I'm like, well, what in the heck is that? <laughs> he said, well, you know, first you tell them, 
but then you have to show them. And then after you show them, then you have to let them try, you observe and you get feedback. And I was, I was covering Wisconsin and, and Minnesota and Chicago at the time. And I remember it was a blizzard and I was having a coaching call with this guy. And it was the third time that we had, we went over this and I told him and he told me back and I'm like, okay, but he still couldn't execute. And I drove up there in a blizzard and I observed. And once I observed, then I could give him immediate coaching and we could work through it. And we never, we never went backwards from that point forward. So I think a, a huge missing part for me was being able to observe them, give feedback so that we could move through that rather than me just harboring. Cause there was something, whether it was a limiting belief, it was confidence. There was something there that we could never get over the edge. So maybe that's helpful to people. And thank you so much for the opportunity to speak. Thank you so much, Christy. And guys, it is the top of the hour. Guys, if you are learning from this room today, just imagine how much you could gain when we come together in person in Lexington, Kentucky, November 5th through the 7th for the Grow Your Business for God conference. Glenn is going to be celebrating the 1,000th episode of Rise and Grind, featuring so many of your favorite Breakfast of Champions speakers, um, as well as spearheaded by Miss Tamara, who is on the lookout for your 67-day challenge check-ins. You're one of the almost 1,000 people in our community doing this challenge. We are so proud of you. And if you guys haven't started yet, it's not too late. Again, you can go to breakfastwithchampions.live. You can grab the link to sign up for that. Uh, and if you are interested, I know we don't have a whole lot of VIP tickets left, uh, but you can go to growforgod.com and pick up your seat at the table uh, so that you can hug some necks and get your daily dose of motivation, inspiration, and education. And guys, again, if you missed any of our seven tips this morning, we were talking about seven tips for crucial conversations. I'm going to recap these real quick, but again, you can click on my profile picture and uh, join my VIP text club for free, and we'll make sure we get those over to you. So again, number one, starting with heart, asking yourself what you really want and what's at stake. Number two, learn to look, always be asking yourself whether the conversation is defensive or a dialogue. Number three, make it safe. Another way to deal with defensiveness in difficult conversations is to create a comfortable situation and ask a question that shows interest in someone else's view or take a time out. Number four, master your story. Focus on what happened that made you feel a certain way. Think through your emotions and then choose an appropriate way to respond. Number five, state your path. Share your facts and conclusions so that the other party can see where you are coming from. Number six, explore others' paths and find out what the other person is thinking. Make sure that you look to understand one another and look for areas of agreement. And finally, number seven, move to action. Come to a consensus about what will happen and document who will do what by when and settle on a way to follow up. Thank you guys so much for sharing this past hour with us this morning. Thank you to all of you who contributed to this conversation. Always such a blessing to be able to share the stage with all of you. Thank you for joining us on Breakfast with Champions. If you want to catch the live version, you can follow us on Clubhouse and listen from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, Saturday 6 to noon, and Sundays with our 111 Sunday service. Make sure you're keeping up with Breakfast with Champions and getting yourself a seat at the table.